1: happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, verse 14 in this chapter says, she lay at his feet until the morning. Now, this shows something very significant about Ruth. Ruth was very anxious. Well, in the first place, Ruth didn't want, Ruth just wanted to stay with Naomi. Now she's being pushed out to go marry Boaz. She didn't, certainly didn't want to go down to a threshing floor at night to Boaz and essentially ask him to marry her. And she only did it because she was pushed into it by Naomi. But Ruth knew that Naomi had her best interest, and Naomi knew that Boaz would agree to become her husband. So this was already very nerve-wracking. But now, verse 12 just comes as a bombshell in the middle of all this. Verse 12 says, where Boaz says to Ruth, and now it's true that I am thy near kinsman, how be it, how be it, there is a kinsman nearer than I. What's he saying? He's saying, there's someone ahead of me in the line to marry you. So in verse 12, Ruth has learned that she may be marrying some person she doesn't even know, you know. So she's gone from not wanting to get married in the first place, just stay with Naomi, to a fear of maybe marrying Boaz, to a terror to marrying somebody she doesn't even know. So we can understand, we can feel the fear and the terror. And so Boaz understood that too. And so Boaz said to her, and now my daughter, fear not in verse 11, he said, fear not. So Boaz wants Ruth to be calm. And so he said to the beginning, you know, tarry this night, in verse 13, tarry this night. And then Boaz repeated his call for Ruth to be calm, the end of verse 13, lie down until the morning. We can imagine, you know, Ruth sitting and saying, lie down, <laughs> lie down, I'm in such a state of terror. And these are the first words of verse 14 are so important when it says, and she lay down at his feet until the morning, showed Ruth completely trusted Boaz. Clearly, Boaz had the opportunity to take advantage of Ruth, but Boaz guarded both his purity and Ruth's purity, as well as both of their reputations, when he said in verse 14, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. But there's something else that's going on here. There's something else that's going on with his instruction to let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Something beyond just keeping purity, keeping pure, something beyond just maintaining reputation and Okay, it's true. Boaz is not only beautifully protecting mutual reputations, there's something else that's very beautiful that Boaz is doing here. Clearly, Boaz loves Ruth and wants her very much to be his wife, especially she has, in essence, asked him to marry her. But there's something that Boaz loves more than Ruth. You know what that is? Boaz loves God more than Ruth. And there's something that Boaz wants more than Ruth. Boaz wants the will of God more than he wants Ruth. Boaz only wants Ruth if to have Ruth is God's will for Boaz. Boaz wants the will of God more than Boaz wants Ruth. So the beauty here that we see is that Boaz is not saying, I don't care what the will of God is, I want you. He's not doing that. He says, I don't care what the will of God is, I want Ruth. We should never say that. Never say that. I don't care what the will of God is, I want you fill it in. Here's how Boaz is saying that he wants the will of God more than he wants Ruth. Okay, clearly, like we said, Boaz wants Ruth, Ruth wants Boaz, but there's a problem, one problem. As he said in verse 12, there is a kinsman that is nearer than I. So he wants Ruth, Ruth wants him, but there's just a person standing in the way between Boaz and Ruth, and that's the kinsman who's nearer, as he said. So Boaz has an opportunity here, he's got an opportunity to insert a little influence on this situation because here you know it's like when no one is looking i just push the ball a little bit in the direction no one's going to see it boaz can play just a little trick to sort of guarantee that ruth becomes his and not this other man's he's got this opportunity to make an influence that would sort of remove this other person standing in between him and ruth what's that he knows that if it became known that Ruth was with Boaz overnight, that that would likely influence the decision of this near kinsman redeemer, he I don't want her. If it was known that Ruth spent the night with Boaz, then that would prejudice this other man. So he would look at Ruth and say, damaged goods, open goods, no. Boaz wanted the will of God more than he wanted Ruth. And Boaz realizes that if God wanted Ruth to be his wife, then God could work in the heart of this other man to refuse Ruth without him having any influence in, in this. So, so Boaz didn't want to have any influence over this man's decision. Boaz wanted this man's decision to be his free decision and not influenced by the knowledge that Ruth was with him overnight. And in that way, Boaz guaranteed that the other man's decision was going to be 100% from the Lord and not in any way influenced by the fact that was with Boaz. So that's the underlying reason why Boaz gave this strong instruction in verse 14 when he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the house, he came into the floor. That's how Boaz, who is in love with Ruth, could say in verse 13, Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that he, if he perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. That's how Boaz could say to Ruth, who he loved, You know, if he takes you for his wife, fine, well. How could it be well? How could it be well? Because It's well if it's the will of God. And what kept Boaz from the destruction and tension of the situation that he was going through were the simple words in verse 13. The Lord lives. The Lord's alive. God lives. God's not dead. He cares. He loves. So now we see Boaz doing something very strange. And Boaz looks at the veil that Ruth has, and he asks her, bring it to me, bring it to me, and hold it out in verse 15. And he said, bring the veil that is thou hast upon thee, hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, laid it on her, and she went into the city. What's this all about? What's this all about, about the, the, the barley and the veil? It's very significant. This is actually a barley gift. And we find out two verses later what this is all about. See, in verse 17, it says, she said, now this is Ruth speaking to Naomi, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. So you see what's happening here is is that when Boaz gives this barley to Ruth, Boaz is saying to Ruth, it's not for you, it's for your (laughs) mother-in-law. He's sending the barley to Naomi. The barley was a message to Ruth's mother-in-law. What was the message? What Boaz was saying with this barley was this, Naomi, you and I have known each other for too long for me not to see that you're behind this. You're behind pushing Ruth to me to become my wife. Naomi, I know you're behind all this Ruth coming to me at night. Well, Naomi, I've got a message for you about you sending Ruth to me to become my wife. This barley is my message to you, Naomi. And my message to you, Naomi, is I appreciate it. (laughs) I appreciate that you sent Ruth to become my wife. I'm grateful for you sending Ruth to become my wife. See, these six measures of barley here, that was a gift from Boaz to Naomi in which Boaz was expressing his appreciation and his gratitude to Naomi for her self-sacrificing love, her thoughtful love, to be willing to part with Ruth so that she could have a home of rest and Boaz could have Ruth as his wife. That's what's going on here with this barley gift that, from Boaz to Naomi. It was a gift of appreciation and gratitude from Boaz to Naomi. Now, we see that Ruth is now returning home, and Naomi greets Ruth in verse 16. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. Now, you might be surprised with the question. I mean, there's Naomi, and she asks Ruth, Who art thou? You know, and maybe you're thinking, it's like a, Who is it? You know, it's like, maybe it's too dark. And she said, Who is it? She can't see. But that's not really the case. Why? Because you can see, when you look at her full question, when she said she came to her daughter-in-law in verse 16, she said, Who art thou my daughter? Naomi knew that it was Ruth because she called her my daughter. Who out there, my daughter? So she knows it's Ruth. And so that leaves the question: well, what is she asking? Who art thou, my daughter? And the answer to the question, what she was asked, is seen from Ruth's response. Ruth's response to her in verse 16. And she told her all that the man had done to her. So who art thou? She told her all that the man had done to her. So when Naomi asked Ruth, who art thou? Naomi's asking Ruth, what did Boaz do to you? Did Boaz make you his engaged bride? Did Boaz propose to you? Are you now Mrs. Boaz to be? You know, who are you, Mrs. Boaz? Or who are you, Mrs. engaged to Boaz? That's the question here. That's what Naomi's really asking Ruth here when she says, you know, who art thou, my daughter? Then in the next verse, we see Ruth telling Naomi about the six measures of barley, that Boaz sent to Naomi by the hand of Ruth, and six measures was about to about 10 gallons of barley. That's a considerable amount, 10 gallons of barley. You know that Ruth, she was a strong woman. Okay, hey, by the way, you ever thought that the way we give to the Lord Jesus is to give to his people? You ever thought about that? You know, like the man who one time says, well, I got this big amount of money here and I'm gonna give it to God. So he throws it up in the air to God and it comes down. He says, well, you see, he wants me to keep it. <laughs> now, Naomi gives to Ruth a great advice, which is where we wanna to come to now. In verse 18, then said she, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. So Naomi knew, that's not easy, Sit still, sit still, and with all this tension going on, sit still. But she adds this word, my daughter, sit still, my daughter, as if to say, I'm telling you, Ruth, from nothing else but a heart of love and concern for you. So let's be clear as to what Naomi was saying here when she said, sit still. Naomi was saying, just sit still. Don't give in to a restless anxiety. Don't take any other steps in the matter. Just wait set your heart at ease. Now, that's not easy to do. This last week, I had a little remote control, operated some lights, stopped working. I opened it up, found out why. Batteries had leaked acid, corrosion all over the inside, ruined, had to replace it. That's a picture of what anxiety does to us. Leak corrosive acid, very corrosive. So what's Naomi saying to Ruth? She's saying to hey, Ruth, you could sit still. Why? Because God's on the throne. All will be well, because the hand of the Almighty is going to deal sweetly. Boy, that's so the opposite of the Naomi that we saw in chapter 1. When we looked at Naomi chapter 1, she said, chapter 1 verse 20, 120, 1 verse 20, and she said unto them, call me not Naomi, which means rest, call me Mara, which means bitterness, For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord brought me back home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So when Naomi came back to to Bethlehem here, Naomi had one message. Her message was bitterness. She said, God's dealt very bitterly with me. And now she's saying to Ruth just the opposite. She's saying, God's going to be very sweet. Sit still has a basis because the basis in God you know sit still is I hope you'll be lucky you know we don't have an Irish God you know where well, there's no luck's nothing to deal with this here it's we have an almighty God and when you and I are in a very tense situation and when we sit still we're resting on the basis that God is good and we believe God is good you know why that man hid that talent in the ground and didn't make it work for God because he believed that God was a bad person he said I knew who you were you're very unfair so I just went ahead and he hit it you know and so it's a message that we send to ourselves, to the world when we sit still. When Ruth decided to just sit still, that also brought to her soul a peace that we sang about tonight. He's not the prince of peach. he's the prince of peace. <laughs> and that's what happens to us. You know If Ruth decided to work herself into a frenzy of anxiety, then Ruth would have been robbed from the peace that would have been her gift from coming still. See, sitting still, it's not a passive yoga meditation where you have this mindless disengagement with reality. Sitting still, what she was telling her is a rest, but it's a special rest. It's called rest in the Lord. Psalm 37:7. Psalm 37:7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not because of him who prospers in the way. The word for rest in that verse means keep silent keep silent. Rest in the Lord is just keeping silent with an assurance. What's the assurance? The decision has already been made in heaven, and we're just waiting to see what the decision is. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was called for jury duty. So I was with the jurors, and all the jurors had to leave the court and stay in the hallway while the judge made his decision. And then after he made his decision on this particular item here, then all the jurors were called back into the courtroom. That's what it means to rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord is where we are outside the courtroom and the decision has been made and we're just waiting to find out what it is from heaven. What's the decision that God's made? This chapter starts with Naomi saying that she wanted Ruth to have rest and this is the ultimate rest that Ruth could have, which is a rest in the Lord. To sit still is to have a special guard, a special guard. It says in Philippians 4.7, Philippians 4.6 rather, Philippians 4.6 be careful for nothing. means don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we decide to sit still, we're not anxious for anything, but just pray. We commit it to God. He sends his peace. And his peace that he sends is like a soldier. And the soldier is like standing guard. He's like standing sentry. As a matter of fact, when it uses that term, keep, the peace of God shall keep your hearts, that word's a military term. That's what it means. Stand watch as a sentry. To to sit still is to receive the gift of God's peace that guards our hearts. The peace of God comes when we sit still and nobody understands it. David said, Psalm 71, 7, Psalm 71, 7, I am as a wonder unto many, for thou art my strong refuge. Now, When you and I are in a very tense situation, we feel emotionally exhausted, we feel weak, but the Lord says, I got a new strength for you. I got refreshing. I got refreshing. And God says, it's gonna come when you sit still and you're quiet. Isaiah 30, verse seven, Isaiah 30, verse seven. He says, their strength is to sit still. Their strength is to sit still. Isaiah 30, 15, Isaiah 30, 15. Great chapter for this subject. In returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Isaiah 28, 12. Isaiah twenty eight twelve. This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. To sit still is to receive a gift of strength, a gift of refreshment, as well as a gift of peace. You know, my father... For some reason, he liked, he liked tennis. And my, thought, my father thought that I could become a famous tennis player and make him proud by going to Wimbledon. That's what he thought. So he looked for the tennis instructor in Los Angeles, and he found the instructor that trained Jack Kramer. And so he says to him, you know, train my son, he'd become a Jack Kramer. Okay. Now, one thing I did learn, I didn't go to Wimbledon, but one thing I did learn is that when you're playing tennis, it's not easy for a tennis player to transition from playing singles to playing doubles. When a tennis player plays singles, he makes all the shots. His side of the court is his side of the court. He's only conscious of himself, no one else. But when that tennis player transitions to play doubles, he now has to keep in his mind, I'm sharing the court, I'm sharing the shots. I have my side of the court, and I have to be very conscious of, and my partner who's playing with me, he has his side of the court. We gotta work together we got to work together in doubles, and God has called us to a game of life, which are a game of doubles, where we work together with God, and when we sit still and we're playing doubles, we're saying, God, you're shot. You're shot. Take it, God, and this is what's meant in 2 Corinthians 6.1. 2 Corinthians 6.1. We then, as workers together with him, and 1 Corinthians 3.9. 1 Corinthians 3.9 we are laborers together with god before we came to the lord jesus christ we our game of life was singles the hardest thing for us to learn after we've come to the lord jesus christ is to transition into a game of doubles this is the hardest thing for ruth to do here in playing doubles is to sit still in this very tense situation sit still and let god take the shot god wants to help us in life and if we hog the court when we're supposed to be playing doubles we push God out of the way. We exhaust ourselves. And we, in a lot of shots, it's terrible. So playing doubles in the Christian life is to realize that there is a time for us to do our part. And then there is a time for us to just rest and sit still and let God do his part. And that's what Moses told the children of Israel. They did their part when they walked from the north up there in Egypt, all the way down south from the land of Goshen. And they walk, 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 walk all the way. That was their part until they came to the Red Sea. And they couldn't go there. That was God's shot. And then they had to sit still. And that's when Moses told them in Exodus fourteen thirteen. Exodus 14, 13, Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. To sit still is not to do nothing in life. It's to do your part, and then know when you have to stop and say, God, I can't do anything. I can't make this water disappear now. It's just your shot, your turn, your ball, Lord, and to see the salvation of the Lord. And then when he makes this great shot, cheer. Hey, that's my partner. Look what he did. He parted the Red Sea. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the Israelites to do at that time is just to sit there and hope and quietly wait for God. That's what Lamentations 3.26 says. Lamentations 3.26. It's good good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. We do our part. God does his part. We see the Lord Jesus Christ sitting still. We do. We saw him. When he was falsely accused, he didn't say anything. In Matthew 27.12, he was sitting still. Matthew 27.12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word. And so much of the governor marveled greatly. Isaiah 53, 7. Isaiah 53, 7 talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and describes him as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened, openeth not his mouth. 1 Peter 2, 23. 1 Peter 2, 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. We need to think twice before we rise up to defend ourselves, set the record straight when we're falsely accused. And remember, how the Lord Jesus Christ was still, even though he was crucified, but Sunday came and then he was raised from the dead. When we sit still, we make a statement that we're satisfied. We're satisfied with whatever the judge has decided. We're satisfied. We're not going to challenge the judge. We're not going to object. We're satisfied. When Boaz said to not let anyone know that a woman came to the floor at night, that was Boaz sitting still and letting God be God. To sit still is to never say, I don't care what God wants or what his wills I want this. To sit still is to make the statement that we believe that God does really care about us. He really does care about us. First Peter 5:7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Sit still. In a very tense situation is to say, look, I don't know what God has decided, but I know he has decided, and I'll wait to see what he has decided. And I know it's gonna be best. It's gonna be best. Psalm eighty-four, eleven. The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He's a sun. When I need warmth, when it's cold, he's a sun. Well, the Lord's a shield. When I'm attacked, he's a protection. And since he hasn't withheld his best. Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? To sit still is to state we believe that God is going to give the best. When we sit still, we make the statement, our hope is in the Lord. Psalm 27.13, Psalm 27.13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. You can almost see him like standing up. Sit down. Sit down. I mean, whenever I read that in Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goods of the Lord. I can't help but think of the Jews who were left there in the concentration camps at the end. And they had heard that the allies had landed in Normandy and they were marching to deliver them. And even though their lives had been unbearably miserable, they kept that hope in front of them as the allies were coming. And they said, the allies are coming. The allies are coming. We're going to be delivered. We're going to be delivered. And they didn't faint. To sit still is to believe that God's coming. God's coming. He's going to deliver. Psalm 55, 22, Psalm 55, 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God that we can sit still before, that we realize, Lord, that what we fear it is a, all about wrong conclusions that we make against you. Help us, Lord, to exalt you and to show that by being still in tense, in anxious situations. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God.